0: It is so good to see you and be in this moment. Welcome to those of you in a variety of different settings. Our series is Faith Forecast. We're walking through the book of Exodus, and we feel pretty certain that we can forecast elements of 2021, because as we study and walk through the book of Exodus, Exodus, really the whole Testament, but very much in particular Exodus, this is how God works in the lives of His people. It's just a model of what God's going to do in the lives of His people. And Jesus even repeats the Exodus story in his life, and he does it in such a perfected kind of way. Now, last week, we looked at the fact that God has destiny, purpose for your life. The name Moses literally means to be drawn out, and drawn out. You have drawn out. You've been set aside for some incredibly special purposes for your life, and to embrace those, and to own those. Now, we wind up going and finding that there are uh, today we study plagues. Now you go, oh great, we're going to sit down for thirty minutes or so and study plagues. Hey, imagine in studying it for the last two weeks. Hey, sit, get get in my shoes for a second here. So so we're going to package plagues, but but also here's where we're going. Uh, the fact that there are hard hearts, people have hard hearts around us, and hard hearts are in us, and the very spirit of God needs to be our physician to remedy that. There is wilderness that we experience and that God has deliverance for us. So these are all the big themes that are going to go really for the, through the first half of the book of Genesis, chapters 1 through 18. Our friends at the Bible Project, we, we stumbled across this after we put our teaching together and went, oh, That is an incredible summary of what takes place in the book of Exodus. So we're going to share this with you, and then hold on to your seats. Then we go into the plagues, all right? Watch this overview. The book of Exodus. It's the second book of
1: the Bible, and it picks up the storyline from the previous book, Genesis, which ended with Abraham's grandson, Jacob, leading his large family of 70 people down to Egypt now jacob's eleventh son joseph had been elevated to second in command over egypt and he had saved his whole family in a famine and so pharaoh the king of egypt offered the family to come live there as a safe haven and so eventually jacob dies there in egypt and joseph and all his brothers do too About 400 years pass and the story of the Exodus begins. Now that name refers to the event that takes place in the first half of the book, Israel's exodus from Egypt. But the book has a second half that takes place at the foot of Mount Sinai. In this video we'll just focus on the first half where centuries have passed and the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied and they filled the land. Now, this line is a deliberate echo back to the blessing that God gave all humanity back in the Garden of Eden. And it reminds us of the big biblical story so far. Humanity forfeited God's blessing through sin and rebellion, and so God chose Abraham's family as the vehicle through which he would restore his blessing to all the world. But the new Pharaoh does not view Israel as a blessing. He actually thinks this growing Israelite immigrant group is a threat to his power. And so just as in Genesis, humanity rebels against God's blessing so here Pharaoh attempts to destroy the source of God's blessing the Israelites. He brutally enslaves them in forced labor and then he orders that all the Israelite boys be drowned in the Nile River. Now, Pharaoh, he is the worst character in the Bible so far. His kingdom epitomizes humanity's rebellion against God. Pharaoh has so redefined good and evil according to his own interests that even the murder of innocent children has become good to him. And so Egypt has become worse than Babylon from the book of Genesis. And so now Israel cries out for help against this new Babylon and God responds. God first turns Pharaoh's evil upside down as an Israelite mother throws her boy into the Nile River but in a basket. And so he floats safely right down into Pharaoh's own family. He's named Moses and he grows up to eventually become the man that God will use to defeat Pharaoh's evil. In the famous God appears to Moses and commissions him to go to Pharaoh and order him to release the Israelites. And God says that he knows Pharaoh will resist legs. Then God will harden Pharaoh's heart. And so we're introduced into the next main part of the story, the confrontation between God and Pharaoh. Now what does this mean that God says it will harden Pharaoh's heart? It's super important to read this section of the story really closely and in sequence. In Moses and Pharaoh's first encounter, we're told simply that Pharaoh's heart grew hard. There's no implication that God did anything. And so in response, God sends the first set of five plagues, each one confronting Pharaoh and one of his Egyptian gods. And each time, Moses offers a chance for Pharaoh to humble himself and to let the Israelites go. But after each plague, we're told that Pharaoh either hardened his heart or that his heart grew hard. He's doing this of his own will. And so eventually, it's with the second set of five plagues that we begin to hear how God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So the point of the story seems to be this. Even though God knew that Pharaoh would resist his will, God still offered him all of these chances to do the right thing. But eventually, Pharaoh's evil reaches a point of no return. I mean, even his own advisors think that he has lost his mind. And it's at that point that God takes over and bends Pharaoh's evil towards his own redemptive purposes. God lures Pharaoh into his own destruction as he saves his people, which is what happens next. With the final plague, it's the night of Passover and God turns the tables on Pharaoh just as he killed the sons of the Israelites so God will kill the firstborn in Egypt with a final plague but unlike Pharaoh God provides a means of escape through the blood of the lamb And here the story stops and introduces us in detail to the annual Israelite ritual of Passover. On the night before Israel left Egypt, they sacrificed a young spotless lamb and painted its blood on the doorframe of their house. And when the divine plague came over Egypt, the houses covered with the blood of the lamb were passed over and the sun spared. And so every year since, the Israelites have reenacted that night to remember and to celebrate God's justice and his mercy but Pharaoh because of his pride and rebellion he loses his own son and he's compelled to finally let the Israelites go free And so the Israelite slaves make their exodus from Egypt. But no sooner do they leave that Pharaoh changes his mind. And he gathers his army and chases after the Israelites for a final showdown. As the Israelites pass through the waters of the sea safely, Pharaoh charges towards his own destruction. The exodus story concludes with the first song of praise in the Bible. It's called the Song of the Sea. And the final line declares that the Lord reigns as king. And then the song retells in poetry what the story of God's kingdom is all about. It's about how God is on a mission to confront evil in his world and to redeem those who are enslaved to evil. God is going to bring his people into the promised land where his divine presence will live among them. This story is what it looks like when God becomes king over his people. So after the Israelites sing their song, the story takes a sharp the Israelites are trekking through the wilderness on their way to Mount Sinai and they're hungry, they're thirsty and they start criticizing Moses and God for even rescuing them they say they long for the good old days in Egypt I mean it's crazy, so God graciously provides food and water for Israel in the wilderness but these stories they cast a dark shadow and we begin to wonder could it be that Israel's heart is just as hard as Pharaoh's we shall see, but for now That's the first half of the book of Exodus.
0: Good stuff. All right. You ready to... Let's talk about some plagues. You've, you may have said on some occasion, well, I'm going to avoid that like the plague. Uh, talking with a friend who went shopping at a family fair at 4 p.m. on a Friday, and they went, that was crazy busy. I go, what were you doing there? I avoid that place like the plague at that time. And uh, one of our go-to family movies is Sahara. Uh, there is a plague in the movie. I don't think that's why my wife watches it. I think it's because Matthew McConaughey's in it, and uh, she, she claims it's the funny sidekick guy, but who who knows? Anyway, good, good storyline. And they are trying to find the origin of a plague somewhere on the continent of Africa. The doctor for the World Health Organization is in a conversation, and, and she says, oh, oh, no, no, we don't, we don't like to call it a plague. Well, what do you call it then? it's a plague. I mean, when, it, when, when you get down to it, there are just certain times, whether you, you don't want it, you don't want to find it, you don't want to call it that, we experience plagues in our lives. So let's get to it. Here's the big reveal. Sometimes the big reveal comes at the end. We're going to do, this is, what, what is the purpose of plagues? It's like, well, right here, we're going to dive into it. The Lord is speaking. I will take you As my own people, Exodus 6 7. I will be your God. Then you will know that I'm the Lord your God. So the key word is no, right there. There's a lot of huge elements, but the key word is no who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I mean, there's all kinds of things about freedom from bondage. There's all kinds of things about relationship with God. They're all part of this package. The repetitive theme is this word, no. Um, Plagues are designed... To reveal God. Now, not specifically the fact that God is bringing wrath. There is wrath in this. That's not, the key word is knowledge of God, meaning you need to know me so you will rely upon me. That's what I want you to understand. Now, Pharaoh says to Moses, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? Catch it again. I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. So the plagues in and of themselves, again, the purpose is not necessarily to punish Egyptian people or intended to decimate Egypt. It is, so you're going to go, you get it? I'm God, and these other things aren't God. They really thought Pharaoh was the big cheese God. It's really a big Pharaoh and God kind of confrontation. Now, in our lives, and we we use this saying, there's times that you said, stupid hurts, and, and sin is stupid. So when we do sinful, selfish things, they're stupid, and there's hurt that naturally comes from that. We hurt ourselves, we hurt other people, and so when people get in positions of great influence like Pharaoh, and they make a sinful, selfish, stupid choice, it has a huge effect on a lot of other people. And so we affect others, but people in those kind of roles have a wide effect when they make stupid, selfish, sinful choices. So know that when God may discipline you, it's going to be incredibly apparent that the way the why I'm feeling hurt is because of a stupid choice I made. Now these are things that Pharaoh has made. Other people are experiencing these as plagues. And sometimes when we talk about plagues that come in our life, so know it's a little it's separate from discipline that God may bring, but it's just stuff that goes on ugh that I've got to deal with. Number 1, we got four of these. So there's four points. Here's the first. Number 1, the purpose is to know the Lord God. That's the purpose. And to know God not by hearsay, not just like, oh yeah, I heard it said about God. I mean I mean to really know God, to really have this great relationship with God. So some things we we get hearsay with God. Oh yeah. I heard that God's love. I heard that God's like the judge. I heard that God is glorious. I I, I heard this about God. We we hear this and then we pick on one attribute, like, yeah, God, God is that. But there's more to God than that. And we just sort of run with the fact that God is love, and it doesn't matter what I do, that God loves to forgive sins, and I'm really good at sinning, so that's a great relationship right there. It was like, that is not really it. Or that, that God is the judge, and God wants to judge people, and God wants to smash. like, that is not, you're not fully understanding the knowledge of God when we run with one of the attributes. So uh, an example of hearsay, um, nor is it heresy. I can remember back to one of my youth group days when I was a teenager sitting in a small group and one of my classmates brings up uh, the fact, well, I've always heard it said that uh, like the good book says, do unto others before they do unto you. And that, that hung in the air there for just a little bit and went, sounds right. It's like, oh, and, and, and it was like, so basically, it's like, before they do something to you, boom, you know, get it right in. Which is great in a sanctioned boxing match, but, but not necessarily in just doing life with other people. So, so we had to spend some time unpackaging, and we did, I don't think we used the word heresy, but that's heresy. That's not right, you know, and, and to bring that, um. And there's been times that that we have noted and that we're reminded when anybody winds up putting their faith in a basket that is outside the kingdom of God. And they say, pick a political party of some kind. And they go, that's where all my hope is at they are going to be incredibly disappointed even if that political party has some platforms that you agree with. And, and so what happens is we've got to understand that it's, it's kingdom of God and knowing God stuff. Now, if you've got hope for people, if you've got hope for this nation, if you've got hope for your neighbors that lives are going to be changed, Excellent because the very Holy Spirit of God is pursuing the heart of people that you care about. The very Holy Spirit of God is at work and is moving and will get a hold of a life that you're concerned about, that God is loving, and their life, no matter what their political leanings, no matter what their economic kind of status, no matter what, will be changed and transformed in beautiful ways. And not only will that one life after another life, revival will take place when the Holy Spirit of God is at work, when we're praying for it, when we're seeking it, and a life and a family and enough families will change a community and enough communities will change a state and enough states will change a nation in the world. God is fully and wholly at work in our midst. God wants to make himself known amongst the nations and God will do that. It says, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. It goes on to say in chapter 7, this is what the Lord says, by this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I'm going to strike the water of the Nile. That's Moses talking to Pharaoh. And Moses winds up responding and replying to Pharaoh, it will be as you say, so that you may know, Pharaoh, there is no one like the Lord God. Okay, we've done five verses. They all have that keyword in it to know. There's seven more. We're not going to read the other seven. It just keeps going on and on and on and on so that you know, so that you know, so that they know, so that they know, so that you know. We'll talk about the people dynamic in a moment, but to know God, to submit to God's authority, to submit to God's will. There is this appropriate smallness that Pharaoh is supposed to get. That you aren't God, that God is God. And what's so beautiful when we get a hold of humility and appropriate smallness is uh, our lives aren't diminished at all. Because when you are God's child, you're a really big deal. You've been gifted, and you've been graced, and you have purpose, and you have a heart for amazing things. So when you are God's child, you're a really big deal. But we have to see ourselves in appropriate smallness that God is God, and we are God's children. It has been said that we really love to have God as our Savior. And I'll go on and add this. And we really enjoy God as our comforter. When we have, oh, I've got problems, let me come talk to God. I think we really enjoy God deeply as king from a distance. That we like having the celebrations. We like coming to the the royal gatherings. We love Christmas Eve, and we love special services, and we love these kind of moments with pageantry. But when it comes to Jesus Christ being our teacher, being our master, being our Lord, we want to, we want to fire God. Go, oh, no, we don't want you to have that position. My current 18-year-old, when he was five years old, we're having a five-year-old birthday party. He looked at the kid next to him at his five-year-old, at his five-year-old birthday party who was picking on the kid next to them. And he looked at him and goes, you're fired. You're fired. And, and they'll go, I'm not, I'm not. It, was like, it was this devastating. We had to enter in with counseling and in and, and, and that moment. But, but Wes fired his buddy who was not living up to birthday party standards. Do you ever do that to God? Oh God, I want you as my Savior. I want you to come. come for me. I want, the, the King stuff is great from a distance, but but when it comes to you telling me what I'm doing, ho, ho, ho. I don't want to walk. I don't want to follow that close. Um, the kindergarten teacher in my home, who I get to drive to school, and I get to pick her up every day. Uh, I, I take Terry to work in pick her up. Partly because I love the stories. I love, I love the story. caffeinated Terry is, is very fun, Terry. Two cups of coffee, Terry. Hooray. And away we go. Picked her up recently, and she uh, said, how was the day? It was great. A little frustrating. Teaching math right now. You know, there's been a break. Uh, how'd it go? Well, it went like this. So what is one plus two? Two. Two. No, okay, we'll just try it again. So a lot of the kids get it, but but every now and again, so let's try it again. So what is one plus two? How many got? Two. It's it's just maddening. So what do you do when that happens? Oh, it's simple. We just start drawing circles. So you got one. You draw a circle under that. You got the number two. You draw two circles under that. Count your circles. One, two, three. We got three. All right, you got three. All right, great. So let's take one plus two. What do you got? Two. Okay, let's start drawing some more circles. And so in our lives, there's ten plagues. Pharaoh wasn't getting it. There are times in our lives when we just, God, who loves you deeply, you're just drawing circles until you get some elementary principles zoned into your life that you've got to get because you can't go to the next level because you can't go to the next place until God is able to say, let's do some simple kind of work. We're just going to keep drawing circles. And by the way, there was a time the whole class was drawn circles. Even though there's just a couple of kids that had to get, we were all drawn circles. We're just going to get this down together. Second dynamic, the people are invited to make a choice. There's four kinds of people. There's Pharaoh, who's incredibly obstinate and opposed to God. Now maybe somebody here today, you would go, I, in honesty, I kind of identify with Pharaoh. I don't want God messing with my life. I like, I like being the one in charge. Maybe, maybe that's where you're at. Be honest in the moment. Maybe some of us today identify with the Egyptians. And this is a crowd of people who just wind up getting caught up in things And they're unaware of God. We live in a world system and a world structure where how the story of God is being played out now, there's a lot of folks that are like Egyptians. They're doing life, but they're very unaware of the Lord God Almighty. And they just wind up getting caught up in things. Or maybe some of us are like the Hebrew people we're aware of God, we're yay God people but we need to make sure that we're fully aware that God has God's rightful place in our lives. Or some of us might really identify with Moses, that we are all in. And even as we're all in, the things that God does in our life, we find it incredibly awesome and overwhelming. Wherever you identify, isn't it great that God wants for each and every one of the people in this story that you would know God? God wants you to know him. So don't hold back from embracing the fact that God would say, why don't you stop being God and start being my child? And you can let the Holy Spirit speak to you. The third dynamic is the plagues are going to bring either deliverance or disaster. So Pharaoh is incredibly obstinate. And after... The second plague, uh, he he did this a few plagues, but uh, for the plague of the frogs, which was the second one, pray for me. You know, forgive me and pray over me and take these frogs away. By the way, the frogs were coming up out of the Nile. They were in the gardens. They were in the homes. They were in the kitchens. They were in the bedrooms. They were everywhere. And Moses says, I will pray for you. When would you like the frogs to go away? And Pharaoh's response is, tomorrow. Tomorrow. I'm here right now. Moses guys like, I, I, we, we could do this now. I'm here right now. I'll come back tomorrow. It'll be as you say, is how he responds. If there is something, friends, that you think that God should be doing in your life, why in the world would you ever say tomorrow? You know? It's like, it wasn't Sherlock, Pharaoh, that, that we're dealing with right now. It wasn't Dr. Watson, Pharaoh. It's like, hey, how about Today. Let's do this. How about, how about in this season of your life? This season of your life. Don't, no tomorrows. Right now, today, let's do the business that we need to do with God. Now, as the 10 plagues, you're going to see a a visual of the 10 plagues. We're not going to take time to walk through them individually. But they, some of them were an incredibly direct confrontation with one of the Egyptian gods. In fact, they all were a confrontation with the gods of Egypt because there were so many different gods of Egypt. But, you know, particularly Isis, the god of health, there's a lot of things that weren't healthy. There was uh, the god of Ra, the god of the sun, there's darkness. And really, Pharaoh is the ultimate god of Egypt. These are all things coming against Pharaoh's rule and Pharaoh's reign. So, oh, there's, there's these dynamics too. The first three Everybody, Egyptians and Israelites all experienced them. From the fourth one on, the people in the land of Goshen did not experience them. Uh, There were a couple of plagues where the Egyptians, it was told, this is going to happen like when the hill comes, and it's going to be devastating. And there were Egyptians who feared God, who brought the people, brought the workers in, and brought their livestock in, and they were spared. There's a variety of ways in which these things went down, and they happened. This is for kicks and g- g- giggles. Uh, we'll do a survey. So let's let's look at the the critters. Let's look at the critters one. If you think you could go, if you think you're tough, if you think you're tough, you go, I, c- I could handle that one. And some of you are thinking, you know, you're looking, you're kind of judging the plagues and going, how bad would that be? So let's just narrow it down to three. An infestation of frogs, an infestation of lice, or an infestation of flies. We'll just walk through them one by one. Just raise a hand. Which one do you go? I could do that for a few days. I could do that for a week. So let's start with the frogs. How many think you could deal with the frogs? Wow. I think you're weird. There's a lot of, that's the, 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 the how many go, we could bring on the lice. Let's go with the lice. I don't think there's a, not even those of you with the smooth, shiny heads that are glistening and looking good, not you, handsome devils, not, not even one of you. So um, how about you go, bring on the flies. We go there's some flies. I think I'm gonna, but i it, th- but I think there's enough good Dutch people here that you think you could probably make a buck off of a, off the bonanza of frogs. Going to go, we could do something with that. I mean, there's there's frog legs and there's frogs too. We could do we could really do something with that. I see how your marketplace lenses are are beginning to turn right now. How plagues have worked out in history. The bubonic plague, known as the plague, the Black Death, fourteenth century. We don't know for certain, but 50 million people over a century died. It's nuts. 25 to 60% of Europeans perished during that time. Polio. In the United States of America, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, one of our greatest presidents, was afflicted with this disease. And, and parents in the 1900s were really wigged out by polio. There'd be about a half a million people worldwide who would either perish or be paralyzed because of polio. And that would be only be about 1% of the people who contracted. Most of them, it would go away quickly. But it was just incredibly devastating to some people. So he had this disease. He kept, shh, he kept it real quiet. People didn't know it. So his sons, secret service folks, they, he, he always kind of had somebody beside him. Or there were these little braces in place. The cameras were set up very discreetly so that he could appear to always... Have control, but he really was president out of a wheelchair because of polio. I, we, we, we looked at I mean we could look at all kinds of folks. so maybe you have experienced the outcome of some kind of affliction or plague it doesn 't mean that God doesn 't have great things for you don 't you dare think that God doesn 't have great things for you because you 've experienced some kind of plague or affliction that you 've been marked with let God be God in your life. For some of us, when it comes to the hardship, God's about incarnational ministry. God shows up. God in the flesh, and we are the body of Christ, and it's time to show up. So Mother Teresa, known as Sister Teresa, would go to Calcutta. She would see what was taking place. She established 19 different orphanages, the Sisters of Mercy, the Sisters of Charity, and, and the other dynamic that she would develop there... Happened in a very poignant moment where she found a woman half dead in a heap of garbage. She takes her to the local hospital who will not treat her because that life is gone. We don't have time. And she's four foot eleven and incredibly persistent. She will not leave that hospital until this woman gets treated. She is treated. The woman is made well. She walks out of that place, and now Mother Teresa has a vision in her mind. She's Sister Teresa, by the way, at the time. And she is going to create a space where people who are going to die can die knowing that they are loved by God. And she creates this hospice, but she had to kind of keep pounding at the, at the, at the authorities, those who are leading Calcutta, and they say, finally, you can have the building next to the temple. Go do your ministry there go serve people there. And she did, and she ran with it. Father Damien, in 1873, a Belgian priest heard about the devastation that was taking place in the land of Hawaii in regards to leprosy. He was one of three individuals that would volunteer to go there. And as he went, and he worked with the lepers in the colony, he would, uh, he created choirs. He just kind of worked with them. Choirs they did plays. He established libraries. He did this incredible community kind of thing until he eventually contracted the disease and died himself. But I, but I want you to know, Mother Teresa's been sainted. Father Damien's been sainted. You or I, we may never be sainted, but we may well be sent. We may well be sent into some kind of endeavor to go, you know what? There's a plague that is taking place, and, and I just need to go and enter in. Walking down the halls of our church last week, there was a really neat gathering that was taking place. And there was a, I'm going to guess a nine-year-old gal that was outside the community room. I walked on the other side of the hallway, and I put on a big uh, shepherding kind of smile. and said, hey, that looks like a really neat party. Who's the party for? And the dear, the dear little girl just shrank back. And in my mind, I went, oh yeah, that's kind of how it goes. I went, why did I just think, oh yeah, that's how it goes? It because looked up the stats. 40 million people in the United States, not worldwide, 40 million people in the United States, of 300 some million people, have anxiety issues. And those are just the ones that have been confirmed. The social media thing, we get off in our own worlds. There's all kinds of other things in regards to the COVID situation that contribute to this, but it just becomes the norm that we don't know how to relate at all to other people. It's a plague. And by the way, if you are experiencing this, if you're caught up with something like anxiety, God loves you so much. God has hope. God has healing. Don't be shy. You reach out. We can connect you to some great counseling. Just, mm, God's, God's ready to move in to whatever it is that is difficult in our midst. I'm going to throw another one out there. I read a book uh by Ed Stetzer recently on tribalism. Now, a tribe is great. It's about having community and belonging and connecting. Being tribal, wonderful. There's some cultural things that I really enjoy about my roots in history. Tribalism is such a thing where you would go, yeah, I'm for me and those like me, and I'm not for anybody else. I'm just looking out for me and us. We're becoming plagued by that. As a culture, the New Testament will say there's no Jew, nor Greek, nor male, nor female, nor rich, nor poor, nor slave, nor free. All these kind of boundaries, we need to do away with those things, and we need to be ready to embrace other people. Word of God, Exodus 12. Tell the whole community, we're moving to the fourth point take a lamb, one for every family, and you're gonna take some of the blood of that lamb. You're going to put it over the door, doorposts. There will be a Passover experience, and God will not permit the destroyer to enter into your household or strike you down. Fourth dynamic: the Passover allows for participation and protection. Every family was to go and take that lamb, have a sacrifice. Put the blood on the door. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world was spoken about of Jesus Christ. And it's a point back to this moment of Passover where the destroyer was not allowed to enter into the homes of the Israelite people. The greatest enemy of the Hebrew people was death. And God was going to defeat death. And didn't Jesus do that for all of us then? It's just incredibly beautiful and incredibly amazing. It's called Haggadah in Hebrew. It means story. And it's said in Exodus 12 that these instructions for this Seder meal, this Passover meal are given, and they are to be followed as a lasting ordinance for you and for your descendants. And Jewish people... Have this seder meal, and they're going to ask four different questions. The youngest children are going to ask these questions. There's four cups of wine. That's incredibly moving ritual. And and for years, uh, on occasion, we've done we've done this in our midst as we come to that Good Friday kind of experience. But it's like, well, why why tonight? Why why do we only eat matzah tonight? Why do we dip in bitter herbs? Why uh, do we recline? Why do we eat these, this kind of martyr? Uh, and it reminds us of our bondage and our release and what God did and that God protects us. I want you to know, friends, that God will protect you from whatever might destroy or threaten your life. God wants to be known by you. We're going to go to prayer. Will you stand and rise to your feet? And in this time, just to prepare our hearts for prayer, is there anything that you're plagued with? Is there any kind of physical something that you feel plagued with? Is there any kind of anxiety issue that you might feel plagued with? Or any kind of, uh, you know, whether it's a financial thing, just go, oh, is there any kind of something, relational thing that you feel plagued with? Let's give that to God and ask God to protect you. In a moment, do you, do you see yourself, you know, that I've been like Pharaoh. I've been so obstinate and opposed, and I need to stop. Then make today the day. Maybe you feel like you've been like an Egyptian. I've just kind of been walking unaware of how grand and beautiful, how much God loves me, and I want to be fully aware that I want God to be my God. Or you're like one of the Hebrew people, and, and you're ready just to, just to embrace it like Moses. Let's go to God in prayer, and I tell you what, let's nail home the fact that God is God, and He protects your life. Lord God, how good you are. How amazing you are in this time and in this moment. And Lord, we ask that you would grant to us that which your Holy Spirit desires to do, Lord. That anything that would oppose you in our midst would be so wonderfully and beautifully challenged that we can't help but say, Lord God, forgive me. Lord God, I want to follow you. Lord God, I am so done with other gods. Lord God Almighty, thank you for pursuing me. Thank you for drawing me out. Thank you for making a way. Thank you for delivering me. Thank you for restoring my life. Lord, for anything that's being laid before you right now, we trust God that you are going to protect us from anything that would destroy life. Thank you for being the God of life. Thank you for entering into ours. And may we share you with others as your Holy Spirit enables us. We trust you, Lord, and we thank you and we believe it. And all God's people would say, amen.